Hello, and welcome back to the second episode of Sustainability Savvy. I'm your host, Savannah, and in case you're new here, I am a student at the University of Southern California in my last semester, getting my bachelor's and my master's in environmental studies. And um, my goal with this podcast is to take those complex topics in environmentalism and science and break them down to make them more digestible for a general audience via this podcast format. So um, thank you for tuning in. And today I'm going to be talking about personal actions that we can all take to help in the climate fight and to do better for the environment. Um, And so I want to preface this episode by saying, you know, number one, um, the climate crisis is not your fault as an individual and there's a lot of guilt surrounding that topic for not being good enough as an environmentalist and I just want to encourage people that doing something is always better than not doing anything at all and if everyone took the initiative to just do something better to just take one step and then two steps maybe You don't have to be at a 100%. In fact, I'm not even sure if that's possible to be a perfect environmentalist, in quotations. Um, I'm certainly not. and But I try really hard to do what I can. Um, So today I'm going to be giving you some tips to hopefully try to be a better environmentalist and to take some steps that you may not have even known about or thought of to take action for the climate. So the first topic on this that I want to talk about is diet. Um, And this can kind of be a controversial one, but it's shown that meat consumption is more than half of the emissions from the average American's diet. Um, And 45% of that is just from beef alone. So... That's a pretty good chunk of emissions from each person that we're talking about here because cows, um, other ungulates also, which is hooved animals like goats, sheep, pigs, they also produce methane, but cows are definitely the biggest culprit of this. These animals produce methane, which if you don't know, methane is a type of greenhouse gas that has 28 times or more um, warming power for the atmosphere than regular carbon dioxide does. So it is extra potent per, you know, the same cubic meter or whatever measurement like that um, versus its carbon dioxide counterpart. And that is really detrimental in a lot of ways. This makes up 16% of global greenhouse gas emissions overall is methane. And around 80% of agricultural land use is actually just for livestock and dairy and feeding these animals, providing them water, um, room to graze or grow or whatever. That's 80% of our agricultural land. And that only provides 20% of the world's nutritional and dietary value. So 
you know, going off of all of this information, it's a lot to digest, but the take-home lesson is that the production of meat, especially industrially, is really inefficient in terms of dietary needs for the world. And as the population of the globe is surpassing 9 billion, which is crazy to think about, um, we are going to definitely have to become more conscious of our food choices and potentially more limited as we strain these natural resources more and more. Um, And so taking that personal action to potentially avoid meat in some of your meals or even becoming vegetarian. I generally eat vegetarian about 90 to 95% of the time, I would say. Um, Every once in a while I'll eat meat, but hardly, hardly ever do I eat beef or red meat because this is the worst culprit. Um, And I really avoid it in general unless it's something that's, you know, already made or going to go to waste. But it's definitely a big way that you can personally make an impact. And a lot of people don't really think about it. Um, But like I said, there's, you know, there's so much cultural importance around food, no matter where you might be from. And I want to encourage people, like I said, that it doesn't have to be all or nothing. It doesn't have to be you're vegan or vegetarian or you eat meat every day. You know, there is a gray area where you can try to maybe eat, I don't know, two days a week, just plant-based or switching your beef burger for a turkey burger. Um, All of these things, you know, add up in the end. And if a large community is making this transition, it does make an impact. And we are starting to see that. Um, And so I urge you to, you know, think about your dietary choices. Other things you can do are buying produce locally or buying in-season produce. A lot of our produce is transported across the country, especially here in the United States. And that creates a lot of emissions with the transportation of that. Um, And you're also in the process, you know, supporting local farmers and making an impact in that way. You can also do your own gardening at your own home. And that's an incredible way to, you know, take charge of your own food. If you have kids, it's a great way to teach them about food and where our food comes from. So many people don't really understand how that works, especially with industrial agriculture. We're so disconnected from what we're eating nowadays and the process of everything. And so I encourage you to take charge in that way if that's something that you are able to do and that you're interested in doing. And especially growing native plants for whatever your area is, that's something that you have to research on your own, of course. But growing native plants is really beneficial for encouraging biodiversity in your area. Um, Globally, we're experiencing a huge, huge loss of species diversity, and that's really important for things people don't even think about, such as different medicines and 
ecosystem services that are provided to us, and of course just the intrinsic value of these species and nature itself. And so having those native plants maybe in your lawn or in your backyard help to reduce water use, they help to provide a home for pollinators, native birds in your area, um, all of those great things. So that is another fantastic way to reduce your ecological and carbon footprint. And it's fun. It can be a hobby too. So um, moving on from that, I want to talk about transportation next because this is the largest share of emissions in the United States. It's 28% of the emissions from the United States as a whole is just from transportation. And I will say a lot of that is from more industrial transportation, like, you know, um, moving around things from like warehouses and shipping yards, things like that, and getting it out to distribution. But a lot of it is also people and, you know, commuting to work and all of those things are, of course, necessary, but um, in a lot of ways, our public infrastructure has failed us by not providing those options for public transportation effectively or bike lanes, things like that, walkable cities and areas. But I do want to encourage people to try to take that leap if it's something that's possible and available to you in your area um, even just thinking about, you know, if you are in the market for a car, what is the mileage like? What is the possibility of getting maybe a hybrid or an electric vehicle? And of course, EVs have their own issues with lithium mining and stuff like that. So, um, that's definitely a topic for another episode in and of itself. But overall, when you look at the complete life cycle of Vehicles, EVs are still much better in terms of carbon emission and all of that versus um, conventional combustion vehicles. And there are also so many other options like maybe just carpooling with a spouse or a friend if possible. Um, Taking a bike maybe one day a week, you take your bike or walk to work or just on a short trip to the store or to school um public transportation is definitely an option in some areas and not in others so you know obviously use your own discretion with this but if it takes the same amount of time then perhaps it could be a good option for you and you know then you don't have to deal with the stress of traffic which is nice you can be on the bus or the train or whatever and listen to this podcast, (laughs) listen to an audiobook, um, listen to music, you know, you can do other things and not be stressed out by the traffic. So there are definitely upsides to some of this stuff. And obviously there are upsides for the environment as well when you're taking shared forms of transportation, like carpooling or public transportation, or walking on your own two legs if that is possible for you. So there can definitely be benefits to these alternatives if you are looking at it in a way that 
isn't an inconvenience, but is an opportunity for you to do something for yourself and also for the rest of the world. So moving on to the next topic or recommendation is one that a lot of people don't maybe know about or think about, but this is divesting. And what that means is essentially taking whatever investments or money you might have in a bank or a company that is funding fossil fuels or, um, you know, other unsustainable practices. Mainly, I'm thinking of, you know, big oil and gas moguls. Then that can make a really large impact because if we as a society are collectively saying we're not going to invest in a future where we are dependent on fossil fuels anymore because we can't keep doing this as a society, then that's really powerful. Um, Like I said, I'm a student at USC, about to be an alumni, and there was a really big movement a few years ago about divesting the school's money out of fossil fuels, and they actually did move forward with that. They are still, as far as I'm aware, working on you know, changing that portfolio. It is a process with especially that large amount of institutional money. But there's definitely room for these changes to be made, even on that big of a level. Students made that impact. And so I would encourage you to look at that in your personal life. The 60 largest banks in the world collectively invested $5 trillion, with a T, trillion, into oil and gas and fossil fuels in general um, over the last year, just in a year. So that is an incomprehensible amount of money, basically, but that is how much is still going into fossil fuels. And even if it's a small amount that you have, you know, you just feel like you're a drop in the ocean, there's a lot of drops in the ocean, and if all the drops leave, then <laughs> there is no ocean. Um, and so if collectively millions of people decide to start taking their money intentionally out of banks and places that are investing in these fossil fuels, then that's a huge potential for change. Um, so I will say the top five offenders of this in order... Coming in at number one is J.P. Morgan and Chase Bank. Um, they are heads above the competition, um, investing $434 billion into fossil fuels this last year. After them is Citibank, Wells Fargo, Bank of America, and RBC in the top five. Um, there is a whole list of this online and... Like before, I will have my sources linked in a document where you can check them all out if you so desire. But those are the top offenders. J.P. Morgan and Chase is definitely the highest with a hundred billion more than number two or any of the rest of them. So um, I definitely try to stay away from them. But you know, obviously, it's hard to pick a bank when there's limited options sometimes. But you know, perhaps you have a regional or local bank, um, an institution like, you know, a university credit union. USC has one. 
um, those could potentially be good options to look into if you're interested in divesting and also, you know, looking at anything you have in stocks or like a retirement, all of that kind of stuff. Maybe going through that portfolio or if you have a financial advisor, you know, specifically asking them how you can get your money out of fossil fuels and start investing in things that are, you know, going to lead us to a brighter future. Um, whatever that is that you may believe in or, you know, renewable energy, great. Things like that, startups, projects that are going to be the future that we really need. Um, so next I would like to talk about fast fashion. This is another big, um, contributor to global emissions, making up 10% of the global CO2 emissions and fast fashion also produces 20% of global wastewater, which as we know, fresh water is a hot commodity. I believe it's only 2% of the water on the surface of the earth, so it's very finite, and um, of course, we are using so much of that so quickly, a lot of it for beef and agriculture, um, but a lot of it also on textile manufacturing. So fast fashion, let me define that, and essentially, it's kind of a loose definition, but it's Usually these big companies that are using unethical environmental and labor practices and way, way overproducing their styles and textiles for a cheap price. Um, Not all fast fashion is cheap. Even luxury brands can be guilty of these practices. Um, But overall, the fashion industry produces 92 million tons annually in waste which is an insane amount. It is the equivalent of one garbage truck every second. So we definitely, you know, as a society need to do better. And I definitely get concerned about this sometimes with the growing amount of, you know, social media and internet culture, how quickly the trend cycles are changing, especially, you know, as a person who identifies as a woman, that is a lot more relevant, I think. There's more societal pressure to be trendy and stuff like that, dress a certain kind of way. But it definitely applies to anyone and everyone. And I want to encourage people to try to buy things secondhand. And this goes for all of consumerism in general, um, just maybe try to be thoughtful about what you are buying and, you know, whether you really need that item, whether it's really going to be used, um, whether maybe you could get it somewhere secondhand, like a consignment store, a thrift store. Um, one of my favorite things are Facebook groups in your local area that are like a buy nothing or a trade group or just a resale group you can find all kinds of stuff in there and a lot of times people are giving stuff away that they don't need and um that can be really helpful for especially low-income people and 
So I want to encourage that there are alternatives to buying from these unethical companies. Of course, that's not always going to be an option for people, but there are a lot of ways to try and work around it, at least some of the time. You know, like I said, it's better than nothing. And so check out your local thrift stores, your local Facebook page. Of course, stay safe out there. Um, But, you know, using what's already out there in the world is one of the best ways that we can reduce all of that consumption and production and everything that is taking up so much of our resources globally. Um, And so that brings me to my last topic. A lot of us in the United States grew up with the phrase reduce, reuse, recycle as kind of the main pillar of sustainability that we learned about, if any. Um, I'm from Texas and I, that's about all we got in terms of sustainability. Maybe some Earth Day, yay trees. But um, I want to explain this a little more in depth because reduce, reuse, recycle can be kind of misleading. Recycling, for the most part, is not very efficient. And, you know, I hate to say that. I don't want to discourage anyone from recycling. But it really just depends on the facilities in your local area, what kinds of things they accept to recycle. There are lots of different types of plastic. And so if you're looking at something that you want to recycle, checking the bottom, there's usually a little triangle with a number in it. And sometimes local areas may not be able to recycle certain types of plastic or cans or things like that. So I definitely encourage you to check that out on, you know, your local government or waste management websites. Hopefully they have that information for you. And um, I want to say that reduce, reuse, recycle is meant to be in that order. So the best thing you can do is reduce and not use something or reduce your consumption of something like water, like fast fashion as the first, you know, step in that hierarchy. Um, The second one would be to reuse things that you already have and, you know, like I said, buying secondhand is a great example of that or um, using dishwater to garden or water your plants, things like that are um, a great eco-friendly step to take to make the most of your resources. And then finally, recycling is the last step if none of that is possible. If you are able to, in any circumstance, I encourage you to think about reduce, reuse, recycle, just like elementary school. (laughs) But, you know, think about it in that hierarchical way of reduce first, reuse second, and recycle if there's nothing else you can do. And I hope that this was helpful for you to think about ways that you can you know, make an impact on the environment. Um, Well, I guess make less of an impact, really. (laughs) A lot of these methods um, can actually help reduce the amount that you're spending on things. Um, You know, going back to the diet thing, there are so many other forms of protein that are so much cheaper, like, say, beans, tofu, legumes, like um, lentils, things like that, Um, nuts, peanut butter, 
all of those are great sources of protein as well that are usually much more affordable than meat and all of that. Um, so I want to, once again, encourage you that it is possible and that you are doing enough if you are doing something. And we can all always be doing more. And that's a lovely journey that we can go on together. It doesn't have to be something that weighs you down. It can be an exciting opportunity to make this world a better place in whatever small way you can. And so I thank you so much for listening today. And I hope that you'll implement something like this or maybe already do um, into your life. So tune in next week and thank you for listening. Keep it sustainability savvy.